Welcome to Secrets True Crime, the disappearance of Jessica Hamby. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the disappearance of Jessica Hamby. Listener discretion is advised. The subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. This episode may contain foul language. It is not suitable for younger listeners. This is episode 17 of season three of a serialized podcast, and the episodes are designed to be listened to in order. Jessica Leanne Hamby has been missing since January 3rd, 2018. At the time of her disappearance, the 24-year-old mother of three was a beautiful brunette with big hazel eyes. She had a head full of long, thick hair, was five foot two inches tall, and weighed about 125 pounds. In the five years since Jessica was last reported to be seen, the stories regarding her disappearance and fate have been plentiful and the facts scarce. We are starting from the beginning, and by the beginning, we are beginning with Jessica's life six months prior to her disappearance, as we bring to you the findings of our investigation in real time. Before we move into this episode, we have one quick correction to make. In episode 16, we mentioned that Shane Tank Vandiver was communicating with at least three different women named Lisa, and that one by the last name of Waterman was referred to as his old lady. That specific detail about Waterman is not accurate, but we stand by the rest. Waterman had been married to another man who lived with Tank at times. The content of the messages and other Facebook data would indicate the two were separated at the time Jessica went missing. The rest of the information presented related to Waterman would have been presented whether she was Tank's old lady or not because of her extensive communications with David Shane Reynolds and other statements given related to her. In prior episodes, we've mentioned some other deaths that occurred in the same general time frame and area as Jeremy's death and Jessica's disappearance. We've received a lot of comments on social media and private messages about those two. In this episode, we are going to review a few of those cases and examine any connections or links to Jeremy Abbott or Jessica Hamby. This isn't necessarily to say these other cases are related, 
though they very well could be. And it isn't to say that every one of these deaths is suspicious. While notable, there's at least one that we believe to have most likely been a tragic accident. Our purpose in talking about these cases is twofold. One, these victims' stories deserve to be told and remembered. Two, the public should be aware that Jeremy's death and Jessica's disappearance weren't the only mysterious events that occurred in the Marion, Winston, Franklin County area among victims that knew each other, socialized with the same circles of people, and had addiction and other issues in common. The cumulative population of these three counties is less than 85,000 people, while the collective land area spans a substantial 1.5 million acres. Keep those figures in mind as you consider these individual tragedies and the undeniable connections. We will present each of these cases in chronological order. Get your pens and notepads ready. Zach Pike, aged 36, was last reported to be seen on the night of May 3, 2018. He and four others left Red Bay in Franklin County, Alabama, and traveled by vehicle via Highway 172 to the Hackleburg area of Marion County. It has been said that the group was traveling to Haleyville. While he was not reported to be one of the passengers, the vehicle the group was traveling in was owned by a man named Chris Keach. Remember that name for later. During the road trip, Zach and one of the passengers had a verbal dispute, and they reported that Zach got out of the stopped vehicle on Highway 172, somewhere between Hodges and Hackleburg. While law enforcement statements to the media have stated that Zach ran into the woods, at least one of the parties present in the vehicle that night has stated in more than one interview that Zach took off walking down the side of the road, heading in the same direction the vehicle was traveling. A missing persons report was filed just over a month later and just shy of two years later. On April 25, 2020, Zach's skeletal remains were discovered in the woods in the area of the new North Fork Bridge, many miles from where Zach was reportedly left on the side of the road. Since the exact place Zach allegedly exited the vehicle is unknown, it's impossible to give a precise distance from there to where his remains were found. But the very closest it could be, if you rely on the witness statements, is approximately four miles. And yes, we are talking about the exact 
same bridge that was being constructed when Jessica Hamby went missing that is often the subject of rumors and speculations about what happened to her. On May 7, 2020, the Journal Record newspaper published a story on the discovery of Zach's remains. It stated that authorities had ruled out homicide in the case. Sheriff Kevin Williams was quoted as saying that a walking stick found near the remains that had a cell phone charger wrapped around it indicated that Zach had walked to the place he was found. The sheriff also said they had ruled out the possibility of Zach falling from the bluff he was found beneath. Williams said that the remains were found far enough under the bluff that there was no chance that Zach could have landed there if he jumped, had fallen, or if he had been pushed. While Sheriff Williams told the journal record that they didn't know what happened to Zach, he was quoted as saying, I'm glad this case is resolved, not for us, but for the family. Maybe they can now get a death certificate and have some closure. We do have a copy of Zach's autopsy report, and it notes that his remains were skeletal and incomplete. As is common for remains found months and years later, they often can't find all the bones, and it's safe to say that it's not a big surprise that his cause and manner of death were undetermined because of those factors. The autopsy did document a number of fractures in the bones, including four ribs, but it noted that was most likely due to decomposition and scavenger activity. Zach and Jessica knew each other. His wife and Jessica knew each other. Jessica's stepdad, at the time of her disappearance, Cody Ballard, told us that Zach was one of his best friends. Four months after Jessica vanished, four months to the day, someone Jessica knew well also vanished in the same area as she did. In fact, Zach and the group, or the group after they left Zach, made another stop. According to Jessica's dad, Keith, Law enforcement told him at the time that Zach's phone was on Elgin Cochran Road that night for a few short minutes. Unfortunately, like Jessica's disappearance, Zach Pike's case is one where things just don't add up and everyone is left with far more questions than answers. Ronnie Rich, aged 69, passed away on June 7, 2018. While originally from Haleyville, she was living in Russellville at the time of her death. The exact details surrounding her death are unknown. However, it has generated much discussion in the local community. According to a viral post on Facebook, Ronnie's death is connected to the disappearance of Jessica Hamby and the untimely deaths of Casey Winborn 
and the 2016 death of Shane Tank Vandiver's wife, Brandy Willis Swafford. With rumors suggesting foul play may have been involved, specifically a hotshot. Despite the lack of known evidence suggesting foul play, Ronnie's death remains a topic of interest due to her connections with Jessica Hamby, Andre Newell, Shane Tank Vandiver, and Brandon Clark. Notably, Brandon explicitly stated in a message to Tank that he knew what had happened to Jessica. And if you recall, we told you that Jessica had stayed with Ronnie for a while in the months prior to her disappearance. Christopher Michael Paul Keach died June 20th, 2018, in a motor vehicle accident on I-22 in Marion County. He died a week before his 28th birthday. Keech's death doesn't really fit the profile of the other cases we are highlighting this week until you understand a little more about him. The car Zach Pike was traveling in the night he disappeared was owned by Keech. Keech admitted this was true in an interview with law enforcement a little more than a month after Pike was last seen. Keech was also a friend of Nate Dunstan, and one detail we've never shared is that Keech was going to accompany Nate to pick up Jessica after sunrise on January 3rd, but both men claimed they never made the trip to pick her up. Just a few minutes before 6 a.m. that morning, during the time we believe Jessica was at the Edwards' home on Elgin Cochran Road to take a shower, Jessica shared her location with Dunstan. She told him that she had to take a shower and asked that he pick her up in 45 minutes to an hour. Dunstan sent Keach a screenshot of his message with Jessica that showed the location pin Jessica provided, which was to the Edwards home on Elgin Cochran Road. This made Keach one of only two people that knew the area where Jessica was outside of the group that was physically with her. The messages between Dunstan and Keach indicated the two used marijuana and other drugs together on a regular basis. Keach was interviewed by law enforcement in connection to Jessica's disappearance on June 11, 2018, nine days before his death. In the interview, Keach admitted knowing Jessica, but denied ever dating or hanging out with her. He added that he may have said he would go that morning, but he never did. In the interview, he claimed not to know much about Dunstan and said they used to hang out, but he didn't know what Dunstan was into anymore. Investigators asked him where Dunstan lived and what he drove, and Keach told them Russellville and that he didn't go to Russellville much. 
he denied knowing what Dunstan drove, despite ample communications between the two of them on Facebook discussing different vehicles that the two apparently had access to. Later in the interview, Keach did reveal three names to investigators, saying they knew something about what happened to Jessica and where her remains are. He went on to confirm he had been to a trailer in Red Bay where a woman he knew lived. Investigators asked him if he knew John Deere, and he said no. They pointed out that he was friends with John Deere on Facebook, and Keach told them that person sent him a friend's request, but he didn't know who he was. Then they asked him if he knew Travis Jackson, and he said he did not. This went back and forth for many minutes, with Keach stating he did not know anyone by the name of John Deere or Travis Jackson. A detective then showed him John Deere's picture from Facebook and asked if Keach knew him. At first, Keach said he did not and tried to defend that answer, but the detective pressed him and told him that he had already confirmed he recognized the picture by his body language and reaction to it. At that point, Keach admitted he recognized the photo, but maintained he'd never heard that person called John Deere or Travis Jackson. Detectives asked him what name he knew the person in the picture by. Keach replied, Black. Black is another nickname for Travis Jackson. The trailer Keach had gone to in Red Bay was where Travis was living with his girlfriend when Jessica went missing. When investigators asked who else was at the trailer, he named one of the three people he had already told them knew what happened to Jessica. The person he named had his own connection to Van Willingham in Russellville, the accused child pornographer, where Dusty, Tank, Casey, Andre, Alicia, Derek, and many others hung out. When investigators confronted Keach with the Facebook messages and the pin to Jessica's location that Dunstan had sent him, Keach denied knowing anything about that. He grew agitated and said he never saw those messages, despite having replied to Dunstan and telling him how to start the car they were apparently going to use. Keach then said he wanted a lawyer. Investigators also questioned Keach about Zach Pike because Zach and Jessica were both missing from Marion County from the same area within months of each other. They pointed out to him that they had only identified one person that knew both Jessica and Zach, and that person was him. While we all know that wasn't true, Keach did admit to knowing Zach, but he stated that he never really spoke to him and that Zach just put his stuff in the back of the car. He admitted 
to loaning his car to the people that were driving Zach that night. Early in the investigation, many people told us that they thought Chris Keach had killed himself, that the accident he died in resulted from him parking his Mustang across the lanes of traffic on I-22 in the early morning when it was dark and that a tractor-trailer truck T-boned him. Those stories implied that Keach killed himself that way out of guilt over what happened to Jessica or Zach or that he was just incredibly high. In his interview with the SBI, Terrence Newell, Andre Newell's brother, talked about Keach as well. Newell said that Chris died coming back from Mississippi and he dropped a girl off before he got killed. We've been told the same story from other sources that Chris was coming back from Mississippi when the accident happened. Chris was apparently staying in Mississippi in June 2018 as the investigators that interviewed him had traveled to Mississippi to find him and bring him back for that interview. According to the Alabama Uniform Traffic Crash Report, the fatal accident that took Chris Keach's life occurred at 4.30 a.m. The accident happened on I-22 westbound, heading from Alabama towards Mississippi. Keach was traveling in the right-hand lane when a tractor-trailer came up from behind him. The accident report said, Unit 1 and Unit 2 were traveling west on I-22. Unit 2 was distracted, waiting for traffic to pass in the left lane and did not see Unit 1 stopping in time to avoid the collision. Unit 1 stopped suddenly in the outside lane for an unknown reason. Unit 2 struck Unit 1 in the rear. Unit 1 traveled 177 feet and came to rest. Unit 2 traveled 165 feet and came to rest. Keach was killed in the impact and the truck driver was transported by ambulance to Hamilton Hospital. Keach did not have identification on him, and the notes state that it took hours to identify him. While there's been rampant speculation about the cause of the accident, Jessica's dad, Keith, told us that he learned that Keach's vehicle was known to stall out, due to a problem with the alternator. And that scenario would fit what was described in the accident report. Newell was right about one point. Keach did drop a woman off before his fatal accident. While we won't reveal her name, the location where she was dropped off is yet another tie that warrants us mentioning Keach's death. And she is another one of the three names that Keach told investigators knew something about Jessica's disappearance. Keach took this woman to Brandon Clark's house, the same Brandon Clark that argued with Tank 
about Casey Winborn in Facebook messages and accused him of killing Jessica Hamby. Tragically, 33-year-old Gregory Thrasher passed away on July 1, 2018, in the small town of Lynn in Winston County, Alabama. He was found hanging from a tree in the woods beside his girlfriend's home, and his cause of death was ruled a suicide with no autopsy. Many who knew him have voiced their disbelief and suspicions of foul play to us. Greg was from Haleyville, and he shared many of the same friends as Jessica, Jeremy Abbott, Zach Gunnels, and Brooke Frost. Jeremy Abbott's mom, Kim, mentioned Greg's death to us. It had caught her attention especially because of the similarity between his death and her son's. She told us sometime after Greg's death, her brother, Carrie Abbott, who is also now deceased, told her that he was the last person to see Greg before he died. He noted that Greg had been upset with one of his sons, Carrie's sons, about a personal matter. Unfortunately, the DFS records indicate no autopsy was performed and factual details about his death are scarce, so it is difficult to determine if foul play was a possible factor in his death. In episode 16, we mentioned 29-year-old Casey Winborn, who went missing around July 1st, 2018. Her body was found on July 2nd, 2018, less than two football fields away from Shane Tank Vandiver's residence. We obtained the autopsy report for Casey on December 13th, 2022. It states that Casey was found in a moderate state of decomposition in a dump site. The cause and manner of death are undetermined due to decomposition, but a toxicology report showed a fatal amount of methamphetamine in the bile, bloody fluid from her scalp, and liver. The body was described as normally developed, cool, and in a moderate state of decompositions, with tattoos on various parts of her body. No injuries or medical intervention devices were found during the external or internal examination, with the exception of what could be evidence of a non-fatal head injury. The report does state that the amount of decomposition prevents ruling out the possibility of a fatal injury somewhere else in the body, and that if significant information is discovered later, the case may be revisited. Casey had been in a relationship with Tank and expressed fear of him to others before her death. Tank was named as a person of interest in her death, but no charges have been filed. Tank is currently 
in an Alabama Department of Corrections facility for other charges and is scheduled for a parole hearing in May 2023. His minimum release date is in October 2024, but despite events led by the governor's office that could put him back on the streets much sooner, it currently does not appear that he is on any of the projected list that we've obtained. The untimely death of 21-year-old Brooke Frost remains shrouded in mystery. She was found hanging from a tree in the backyard of her boyfriend's home in the Haleyville area on August 31st, 2018. Although there's little doubt she died days before it was reported to law enforcement. An autopsy was performed, but inexplicably with the circumstances, it was not a full autopsy and was only an external examination. Despite the conclusion of a seemingly cursory examination by ADFS, which determined her death was the result of a self-inflicted hanging, the lack of a thorough investigation into the circumstances surrounding her passing is puzzling. The examination did note the presence of two blunt force injuries on her right thigh and leg, both described as lacerations, but the extent of the circumstances surrounding her death remains unknown. Further fueling suspicions, the examination report also detailed the advanced state of decomposition and significant insect activity present on Brooke's body, which suggests she may have been deceased for several days before authorities were notified. According to a relative of Brooks, there were surveillance cameras up at the home where she was found, but the memory card was mysteriously missing from the one camera that was pointed in the direction of the tree where Brooke was found. She was found hanging beside a camper in which it was said that law enforcement found an active meth lab. The relative also said that another camera captured Brooks' boyfriend putting five-gallon buckets in the back of his truck, which are what she purportedly used to stand on to hang herself. The truth behind Brooks' death remains elusive, leaving many with more questions than answers. While her boyfriend was arrested on a multitude of drug-related charges weeks after she was found, it appears her death was written off as a suicide fairly quickly, and no one has faced any charges related to her suspicious death. Brooke, Jessica, and Jeremy all knew each other. Brooke knew many of the names you've heard us mention in this podcast. In September 2018, Zach Gunnels, a 24-year-old resident of Haleyville in Winston County, Alabama, found himself at the center of a troubling incident. 
he worked at a local cemetery and is said to have physically assaulted his grandfather before making off with a commercial truck, trailer, and a piece of heavy machinery from his place of employment. Despite a frantic search by family members, Zach was not immediately found, leading many to believe he was in hiding. However, three months later, the stolen truck was discovered in the chalk mines of Hackleburg in Marion County, close to where Jessica Hamby was last seen. The truck appeared to have been there the entire time Zach had been missing, and that, along with other factors, has led his family to suspect foul play. Zach was known to have connections with many individuals involved in Jessica's case, including Jessica herself, who had him as one of her only 25 friends she'd added to a secret Facebook account she created in November 2017, during the period of time that she appeared to be so fearful. The circumstances surrounding Zach's disappearance remain a mystery. Tristan Vandiver was the son of Shane Tank Vandiver, and by all accounts, the two men were quite different. At the time of Jessica's disappearance, Tristan was 19. There are a lot of messages both from and to Tank regarding his son Tristan. Many people would contact Tank when they were unable to get in touch with Tristan, and when Tank couldn't reach his son, he'd start messaging others looking for him. The messages definitely give the impression that Tristan would occasionally drop off the radar and friends and Tank would be concerned. While the messages in Tank's Facebook records are from a short time period, long before Tristan's death, they seem to indicate a very unusual relationship between this father and son. At times, Tank sends messages to Tristan like one would expect to come from father to son, reminding him to take his medicine telling him that he loved him, and even encouraging him to get some sleep. At other times, Tank's messages to Tristan read like he's talking to just another drug dealer in his address book. The messages paint a complex picture of a young man caught between the desperation to impress and earn the love of his father and being true to his own unique personality, which couldn't have been more different from Tank. Those who knew Tristan describe a struggle within him as he grappled with feelings of inadequacy and a fear of disappointing Tank. The communications between the two reveal that Tank used his son to sell drugs for him, and he regularly ordered him around related to that and many other things. In one message, Tank tells his son that someone he was with used Tank's debit card 
Tank instructed him to find out which one and punish them. Tristan never responded to that message. There did seem to be some aspects of Tank's life that he did not want Tristan around for, although it's not quite clear exactly what that was. On the night of January 4th, 2018, Tristan asked his dad if he could come over. Tank replied, Not right now, man. We bout to go handle something. Two hours later, Tristan messaged his dad again to tell him he was going to come by his house. Again, Tank told him no. We have spoken with people who were close to Tristan. For reasons I'm sure are obvious, they'd like to remain anonymous, which is why we won't be citing the sources of most of this information. The descriptions some of them gave of the relationship between Tank and Tristan are even more disturbing than the messages. All described Tank as physically, verbally, mentally, and emotionally abusive towards his son. You'll recall from episode 16 that in one message to Tristan, Tank made the reference to a Sumerian god. In a message to someone else, Tank told them that Tristan and Casey were out in the woods casting spells. One witness said that Tank began to share satanic-type beliefs with Tristan at a young age and that it had a negative impact on his mental health. Because of the things his father told him, Tristan was scared of the woods, especially the woods behind and around Tank's home, which he appears to have inherited from his mother when she passed away, creating some drama with his siblings for a time. One male witness openly cried when describing the abuse he witnessed Tank inflict on Tristan. Multiple sources have shared that Tristan had begun to voice suspicions his dad had murdered several people. Brandy Willis, Casey Winborn, and Jessica Hamby. Jessica's dad, Keith, told us that one law enforcement officer involved in Jessica's case shared the same information related to Jessica with him back in 2019. Tragically, on February 5th, 2021, 22-year-old Tristan Vandiver was found dead of an apparent overdose, and it's the location and circumstances surrounding how and where he was found that put his death in the oddly coincidental and suspicious category for us. When we first announced that we would be talking about some of the connections between people that come up in Jessica's case, including someone connected to at least one other suspicious death, we received information that our announcement had someone worried. We were referencing JoLynn Murphy, and while we weren't ready to talk about him yet, Tank was also on our mind. The person that was reportedly concerned about that announcement wasn't even on our radar for that topic right then. 
But after receiving so much additional information since then, it now makes complete sense. You've heard his name before. And if you follow us on Facebook, the first time we mentioned his name, it didn't sit well with him. He doesn't want his name associated with Jessica's case because he said he had nothing to do with it. That's actually also what we said when we did mention his name. But like it or not, he talked to Jessica on Facebook that night and the next morning, and that put him in the case. The man I'm talking about is the one who agreed to travel from Muscle Shoals to give Jessica the ride to Red Bay the morning she vanished, Nate Dunstan. It turns out that when Tristan died in 2021, he was found in Nate's home that he shared with another family member. According to the documentation and information provided to us, Tristan and Nate were friends. At the time of his death, Tristan had an infant child and things weren't going so well with his child's mother. According to a Facebook post made by Tristan's mom, his baby mama sent him a text not long before his death that said, I'm not your mama. I'm your baby's worst nightmare. The post also claimed the remainder of the message she sent to Tristan told him that he would not live to see Valentine's Day. Tristan was found dead on February 5th. There was more included in this post made by Tristan's mom, and we will come back to this topic shortly. Per our sources, Tristan arrived at his friend Dunstan's home on the afternoon of February 4th. This is where the accounts of events get very strange. On the morning of February 5th, baby mama allegedly somehow managed to enter Dunstan's home without being detected by the residents of the home nor the dogs that lived inside and who were often sleeping in Nate's bed per the many photos he shared on Facebook. Baby Mama allegedly found Tristan deceased in the house. We are told that law enforcement has not been able to understand how she was able to enter and make her way through the home without any reaction from the dogs and without the knowledge of the human occupants. We were told that baby mama then left the home, but not before taking Tristan's backpack, which contained marijuana and money from the grant he'd received for attending a local school. She then placed a call to Tristan's grandmother to tell her that Tristan was dead. We have also been told that Tristan's phone was not found at Dunstan's home. It was later found inside Tristan's car that had been parked at his grandmother's home, but the SIM card from the phone was mysteriously missing. Russellville Police Chief 
Chris Hargett, told the Franklin Free Press at that time that he could not confirm the nature of the investigation, but said it remained open and an autopsy was requested to determine Tristan's exact cause of death. Michael requested Tristan's autopsy report from ADFS. What was received was not a full autopsy report. It was just toxicology. But it was not the typical report we received from ADFS. And that, along with some other things, leads us to believe it's possible there is another report we don't have. We are going to look a little further into that possibility. The report we do have lists Tristan's cause of death as heroin toxicity with a contributory cause of acute bronchopneumonia. That cause of death is backed by his toxicology report, which found both metabolites of heroin along with THC in Xanax in his system. The manner of death listed is accident. Now let's review the remainder of the Facebook post made by Tristan's mom on November 20th, 2021. The post says, As a thank you for desecrating my son's grave, I'm sharing the latest video you made and sent to Tristan's family. This is why you don't have custody of any of your children. DHR and the judge all know you didn't go buy a pack of needles just to film this disgraceful video. You seem to be on a downward spiral towards losing your own game. Karma sucks, doesn't it? I'm grateful to be able to assist you in your career in the film production industry, and I hope you get millions of views. Although you might want to stop admitting to giving people hot shots, that's not going to work out in your favor. Also, we know you don't really live in the house you told my mother and your daughter that you live in. Walking down a particular road carrying a suitcase is a dead giveaway. Don't worry though, we know where you're really staying. How are things now that you just don't think about what you're so not gonna have anymore and you actually don't have it? One thing you were definitely right about, though, was the text you sent to Tristan in which you said, I'm not your mama. I'm your baby's worst nightmare. Both of those statements are correct, and I think that's about the only half-smart thing I've ever known you to say. The rest of the text said he wouldn't live to see February 14th. He died on the 5th. Tristan's mom included the three-minute, 35-second video that she said was sent to Tristan's family by his baby mama. To say the content of the video is disturbing is a colossal understatement. A woman, who can mostly be heard and not seen, is holding an action figure similar to what your kids might get with a Happy Meal. A hypodermic needle has been placed in the hands of the action figure, 
and the woman appears to be pushing a button on the back of the toy, which causes the arms and the needle to move around. The woman is speaking in a staged voice similar to what one of us might use to play with action figures with our child. However, the words that came from her mouth are sickening. I'm going to leave out the exact words of the less pertinent parts due to the graphic nature. But in the first part of the video, the woman is repeatedly talking about veins as she manipulates the toy in a manner to convey what seems to be her point, that the needle is a weapon. She also repeats phrases such as flatline heart, and she often refers to her own self by name, leaving little doubt who made the video. A little before the two-minute mark, she begins to chant about hot shots. And at one point, she even mentioned Tank. The content of this video would be disturbing under any circumstances, but the fact it was sent to the family of a man who died of an overdose in circumstances that were at least in the beginning considered to be potentially suspicious is even more horrifying and I'm sure has only furthered Tristan's family and others' suspicions that he was actually murdered. His family isn't alone in their concerns about the suspicious nature of his death. Many have contacted us to share their belief that Tank was somehow involved in his own son getting a hotshot. To be clear, we aren't making any accusations against Nate, Baby Mama, Tank, or anyone else here. Specifically speaking to Nate, we have no evidence to indicate he had anything to do with Jessica's disappearance or Tristan Vandiver's death. We are simply relaying the facts of the case because they support the fact that there were clear and evident connections between Jessica and the people she communicated and interacted with before her disappearance, many of whom do not appear to have been fully investigated in her case. We are sharing the rumors and speculation because they are so widespread and well-known in the community, and most of the information can easily be found through a simple search on Facebook. There's no denying that even with what might be an incomplete list, the number of disappearances and deaths within this group of people who are closely associated is unusual. Jeremy Abbott, Brooke Frost, Greg Thrasher, Jessica Hamby, Ronnie Rich, Zach Gunnels, and Zach Pike were all from Haleyville, which is a small town with a population of less than 4,400 people. Yet in just over a year's time, three of them would be found hanging from a tree, and five of them would be reported missing, and two out of the five 
still haven't been found. All these people knew the same people, associated with the same group of people, knew each other, and reportedly all had some involvement with illegal drugs. Maybe the oddity of it has been largely overlooked because they were found dead or reported missing from several different police jurisdictions. But the reality is, when you have seven closely connected people from the same small town who all disappear or die unexpectedly within 15 months of each other, something just isn't right. Uncovering the truth behind the disappearance of Jessica Hamby and Jeremy Abbott is our top priority. Sadly, there are many missing and deceased individuals within their circle, some known to us, others unknown. Even while working on this episode, we discovered a man who was closely connected to Jessica and her circle, who died just a few months ago. He is believed to have had knowledge of her whereabouts, and even to have had possession of the murder weapon at one point. As we delve deeper into this mystery, we welcome any information on similar cases. Follow us as we unravel the truth and find justice for Jessica and Jeremy. If you have any information that could help to solve the disappearance of Jessica Hamby or the death of Jeremy Abbott or any of the other cases that we've spoken about here today, please email me at secretscrime at protonmail.com or call our confidential tip line at 205 205- Michael and I will ensure that all information gets to the right place right away. If you are left still wanting even more content, please check us out on Patreon. We have it filled with great information about Susan and Evan, Eric and Gypsy, and now Jessica and Jeremy. We will be adding additional content as we go. This podcast is an independent podcast. That means that everything that goes into making this podcast is done and funded by me. All the investigative tools and resources are provided by Echo 7 Foxtrot. The tragedies we highlight and investigate have had a tremendous impact on the victims, loved ones, and friends. We don't burden them with additional expenses to cover their cases. We donate our time and talents because we want to help and hope to find the answers they need that are so long overdue. For as little as $5 per month, you can receive exclusive access to members-only photos, videos, early access to episodes, and much, much more. By becoming a patron, you too are helping us help these families. Patreon.com slash 
Secrets Crime. I'll also post the link on our Facebook page. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast player of choice and by giving us a five-star rating and review. We are active on social media and will often share photos of Jessica and Jeremy. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Secrets Crime. This episode was co-written by me and Michael Fleming. The audio production for this podcast is by Kane Power at precisionpodcasting.com.